You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Amen. Thank you. Please do take your seats. Thank you so much. Our worshippers leading us this morning. It's so great to worship, so great to be in the presence of God. I know some of you were here last Sunday evening uh, for our encounter evening, the first one of those that we've done uh, since COVID. And just, it was so beautiful to push into the presence of God together. There was such a powerful sense of his presence. There were prophetic words being released over the church. It was great to see people flooding forward to the front to respond to God and being prayed for, to see them receiving from him, being impacted. It was a presence filled and life-giving space. If you weren't here, I'm sorry that you missed it. Um, We tried to let you know about it. Sorry that you missed it. There'll be more opportunities for encounter. And I guess I just want to say, when you see those come up, don't miss them. I don't think, oh, I've got something I want to watch on Netflix on a, on a Sunday night because God is powerfully at work in this season and I know he has things that he wants to do and impart into each one of us. So come, come on time into those spaces, come expectant and don't miss out because you're not here. We thank God that he is at work in our hearts and our lives, meeting us, ministering to us in, uh, in the needs that we bring. Well, this morning, it is my privilege to bring the word to us, and we're going to read today from Luke chapter 19, which is one of the parables that Jesus told. And we're going to read it today from the message version of the Bible, primarily just because that helps to make it a little bit more contemporary and relatable to us, which particularly with the parables can be helpful. Now, the context for this parable that we're going to read is this. Jesus, obviously... Jonah has set the scene today of Palm Sunday, the the triumphal entry. And this parable was told just a few days, really, before that entrance into Jerusalem. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. It was a matter of days he was going to walk in there or ride in there. And then, of course, we know what happens next. It was going to be followed by Jesus' arrest, his execution by crucifixion. He was going into this season of kind of adulation followed by violent opposition. He knew what was coming. What had just happened was... On the way there, as he came through Jericho, he'd healed a roadside blind beggar and restored his sight. And another astonishing miracle. This is what the crowd around him had seen. And then they'd seen him go to Zacchaeus' house and bring salvation and bring transformation to a household which frankly looked beyond saving. The people around Jesus are thinking, there's blind eyes open. There's people beyond salvation getting saved. He's on his way to Jerusalem, the seat of power. Something awesome is about to happen. They're thinking maybe even the rule of the Romans might be overthrown. And it is into this that Jesus speaks this parable. So we're going to read from verse 11 to 27. While he had their attention, and because they were getting close to Jerusalem by this time, an expectation was building that God's kingdom would appear any minute, he told this story. There was once a man descended from a royal house who needed to make a long trip back to headquarters to get authorization for his rule and then return. But first he called 10 servants together, gave them each a sum of money, and gave them each a sum of money and instructed them, operate with this until I return. But the citizens there hated him 
So they sent a commission with a signed petition to oppose his rule. We don't want this man to rule us. When he came back, bringing authorization of his rule, he called those 10 servants to whom he'd given the money to find out how they'd done. The first said, master, I doubled your money. He said, good servant, great work. Because you've been trustworthy in this small job, I'm making you governor of 10 towns. The second said, master, I made a 50% profit on your money. And he said, I'm putting you in charge of five towns. The next servant said, master, here's your money, safe and sound. I kept it hidden in the cellar. To tell you the truth, I was a little afraid. I know you have high standards and you hate sloppiness and don't suffer fools gladly. He said, you're right that I don't suffer fools gladly. And you've acted the fool. Why didn't you at least invest the money in securities so I would have got a little interest on it? Then he said to those standing there, take the money from him and give it to the servant who doubled my stake. They said, but master, he already has double. And he said, that's what I mean. Risk your life and get more than you ever dreamed of. Play it safe and end up holding the bag. And as for these enemies of mine who petitioned against my rule, clear them out of here. I don't want to see their faces around here again. Wow, a parable of Jesus, a story that he told, a strong, strong words. The story starts with a man of royal descent going away for a time to have his rule authorized, knowing there would be some who were strongly opposed to his rule, even so opposed to it, even willing to make the journey to oppose it. But in preparation for his absence, he leaves some servants equipped to operate in his name, to operate on behalf of his kingdom while he is away. Now, I know for some of us, this might seem a slightly abstract example and maybe a strange story for Jesus to give. But for those listening, this was not an unfamiliar scenario. In fact, something like this had acted out where they were in Jerusalem more than once. They were ruled by the Romans. So there was a center a long way away in Rome where power came from. And in 40 BC, Herod the Great made the trip from Jerusalem to Rome to see if he could be authorized to rule over Jerusalem. Google Maps tells me the journey is 2,496.3 miles. He would have been away some time. He went, he was seeking to be appointed as king, and then he came back. And even though many of the Jews opposed his rule and did not like him, he came back authorized as king. The trip was repeated in 4 BC by Herod's son, Herod Archelaus. He also went to Rome with the same ambitions to be made king, but instead was banished. To Jesus' listeners, this story has context. It made sense. They understood the idea of shifting kingdoms and powers and a potential king absent for a period of time. But Jesus is telling the story to those who were anticipating that the one they were following, who is indeed of royal descent, was about to be revealed in a glorious way, to bring some sort of victory over the occupying Romans. And he was preparing them to understand that his rule was not about to be revealed all at once, but a period was coming instead where he was gonna be absent and there was gonna be hostile opposition to his rule and to his kingdom reign. And Jesus is pointing to what he was looking for in his absence, 
for what the servants were to do with what they were given. So if you want a title for today, it's simply this, what are you doing with that? What are you doing with that? You could have a subtitle, uh, survival, self, or stewardship, but we're thinking about what are we doing with that, that which we have been given. The servants, they were each given something. In the story, it's money, although the heart of the matter is not financial for Jesus in this parable. And you'll know if you've been here every week or been tuning in every week that we've heard some brilliant teaching on finance recently, the bucket and the cup and first things first, and you can catch up on those on YouTube or the podcast if you miss them. This parable is not fundamentally speaking about what we do with money. And also it's good for us to realize that it's unhelpful if we interpret it through the lens of a kind of Western capitalist financial mindset. I'm conscious maybe some of you watched The Apprentice with Sir Alan Sugar. Who knows, who knows what that is, The Apprentice? Okay, a number of us do. In case you don't, this is a program on TV. Sir Alan Sugar uh, searches for a new business partner. And there's a, a number of candidates, and each week they get split into two teams. They get given a business task they have to do. And at the end of the, of the task, the team which has made most money basically wins the task. And for the team that didn't win the task, they have to come back into the boardroom and basically argue as to why it was not their fault. And one of the losing team is unfortunate, and in the end will get told by Sir Alan, you're fired. And he always does this thing with the finger, you're fired. And if we're not careful, we can bring that kind of paradigm to this parable and think this is what Jesus is doing. This is not what Jesus is doing. He's not looking for business acumen, and he's not looking particularly for competency. He's not looking for ability uh, to invest for a good return or to withstand scrutiny in a boardroom. But it's important for us to acknowledge that paradigm could well exist in our mind as we receive this parable and then to push on. Kenneth Bailey, in his brilliant book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, helps us to unpack the paradigm through which Jesus intended this story to be received. You see, Jesus knew that the servants, they were heading into a hostile environment. They were representing someone who they were anticipating returning as king, but whose kingdom was not welcomed, not unanimously anyway. He knew that for the servants, there would be fear. There would be anxiety. Anxiety as to what people would think of them if they traded in his name. What would they do to him if they traded in the name of the king that they hated? Of course, the easiest thing for the servants to do would be to lie low, to keep their heads down, just not put themselves in the line of fire, to wait and ensure that this king actually did, did return. And of course, those responses are not unreasonable. They're reasonable except that Jesus knew that he was a king who was going away for a time. He'd come to begin the establishing and the bringing of a kingdom, but he was gonna be physically absent for a time. And then present only through his spirit in some servants, and the coming of the kingdom relied upon those servants operating in his name with the things that they had been left to operate with, doing kingdom business with the resources they'd been given. Jesus was gonna return as king. And he was gonna come back, and he knew he would come back, and he would ask each one how they had got on with what they were given. 
There's a New Testament Greek word, I think it's going to come up on the screen. Die pragmatusanto. I don't know if that's how you're meant to say it, but I reckon if I said it confidently enough, I'd get away with it. That's what gets interpreted how they had got on. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I do understand from those that are. This means he wanted to know how much business they had transacted. How much business they had transacted. You see, the king was not looking so much for return on investment, not the numbers on the spreadsheet, not wanting to know those things, but wanting to know how much business they had transacted, what they had attempted with what they had been given. He was looking for how willing they had been to be openly associated with him while he was absent. Would, had they been willing to publicly display their loyalty to him, even though others were opposed to him? If he was going to come and look at the business ledger, he wasn't looking at how much money was made through each transaction, but rather he was looking how many transactions were made, how many of the community actually knew that this man was operating in the king's name. And when the king returned, he didn't commend success, as we might understand success. Rather, he commends faithfulness trustworthiness. That's what he was looking for. He was looking for loyalty. A British journalist, I understand, once asked Mother Teresa how she kept going, knowing she could never meet all the needs of all the dying on the streets of Calcutta. She couldn't actually succeed. She said, I'm not called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. She'd seemingly understood what the king would be looking for on his return. You know, how fruitful or how successful something is in kingdom terms is normally God's business. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Success and fruitfulness, they are God's business. But how faithful we are with what we've been given, that is our business. And the king, in Jesus' parable, affirms the servants who've done something with what was given to them, because they've been faithful. They get told you're a good servant. It's great work. But the servant who hid what he'd been given, who simply laid low until his return, who did nothing with what he was given and entrusted, that servant he has, even what was given to him, is taken from him. He isn't numbered with God's enemies. He isn't deserving of being sent away at the end of the parable, but he's left there empty-handed and undeserving of the king's well done, while others are rewarded. Not with privilege, but with responsibility, which is something else we could explore, but probably won't have time to uh, this morning. So the question comes to us then, what are you doing with that? That which you have been given, that which you have been uh, entrusted with, the crowd that Jesus was speaking to, they thought that deliverance was just around the corner, so it didn't really matter what they did with what was in their hands. And I don't know when Christ is going to return. What I do know is that many of us have been through a period where we have been um, destabilized. We've been distracted. We've had a period where we focused largely on surviving and getting through. You know, I talked this week with someone who'd recently had their first positive COVID test. And we talked about the thing that happens when you first get a positive COVID test and you sit down and you think, well, I wonder if I'll die. And because so many of us now have had COVID and not died, it kind of 
Uh, it seems a bit strange, but the reality is when you've seen things on the telly, when you first get that diagnosis yourself, you think, well, I wonder if I'll survive. There's been a focus on survival, and if not physically, then emotionally and mentally, just trying to get through the last two years and keep standing. And you know, that's okay for a season. That's what's been required of us. But if we go into the next season with the same approach and the same survival mindset, perhaps that's not so good. For some of us, what we're doing with what we've been given, it's all about self. It's about what suits me. It's about what I want, what I need, what plans I've got, what's convenient. And if we were asked, what are you doing with that? Well, the answer, it would be all about self. But Jesus is talking here about stewardship. He's reminding us that what we've been given, we have to give account for. We're given it to steward. And you know, of course, in, in life, we always have to account for things, don't we? We're given responsibility, and we have to give account for what we do with it. In our house, it can look a little bit like this. I'm cooking tea. I think we've got salad. We don't have salad. Anyone else ever have that? It's like, I thought that was in the fridge. It's not in the fridge. I'm like, okay, can anyone run to one stop for me? Someone will run to one stop. If I can manage to find some cash in the house, which gets harder and harder to do these days, here's a 10-pound note. Run to one stop. Get me some salad. I will finish the cooking. They go and do it. Someone takes the task. They come back. What happens? I want them to give account. I know probably there'll be some mini eggs or some chocolate buttons as well as salad. That's the given. We know that's going to happen. But I want to know. I look at what you've bought. I think, where's the change? Because that's not 10 pounds worth of salad. Unless, of course, you went to BP and it was M&S salad, in which case that is 10 pounds worth of salad. You know what I'm saying? It's accountability. It's part of life. We're used to this. And Jesus is reminding us in the parable what we have, we've been given, and we've given it to steward. And we have a master to whom we will give account. He's pointing to the stewardship of the servants. For many of us, we have been distracted in the last two years from what we were on with, with what we have. And so for many of us, just the point and the opportunity to review, to reset, to think again, what am I doing with the things that I have been given is probably helpful. So let's just get a little more practical. Of course, this does relate to what we do with our money, our treasure. I'm not going to go any further into that because we've talked about it recently. It also relates to our time. You know, time is a resource that we've been given. What are we doing with that? I know different people in different seasons and situations, we have different amounts of time. When I was single. I could do more. I had more available time than when I was married or when I had preschoolers. That was a very different season. But we can all think, well, what can I do within the rhythm and the demands of my current season? In that season when my children were small, I couldn't meaningfully contribute to a Sunday serving team or something like that. I would have created more work than I helped with. That was the reality. But what we did find is in that season, I could invest in families, with preschoolers, in the church and in the community. There were some ways that I could do that. And we found a way to help one of the young adults in our church. I'm going to call her Sarah. That isn't her real name. Sarah um, was a doctor, but she, had, well, she suffered severely from depression. She'd had to have some prolonged periods, both as a student and as a professional, where she had to step back because of her mental health. And she did something really brave in one of these periods. She sent a little letter to some of the people around her life, expressing some of the ways that we could practically help her. 
Things like helping her do her food shop so she had proper food in the house, inviting her for food so she ate properly, going for a walk to make sure she got exercise and interaction every day. She helped us so much by making herself vulnerable and making the ask. But we said, actually, you can come and eat with us at least once a week. Because, you know, me and the kids, Martin might still have been out of work, but me and the kids would eat every day. Most of us eat every day. I hope we eat every day. We would be eating the same sort of time every day. And I know family mealtimes are carnage, chaos in their own way, and it's not what everybody wants to come into, but it was a time that I could invite someone in. It was something that I could give and share. And as so often happens when you do these things, there was joy and a deepening friendship and blessing and learning and growing in the process. But what can we do with the time that we have? Sometimes we just need to look afresh at what we have and think what we can do with it. And of course, everyone's situations are different. I know many people since COVID have changed what they do with their time, and they're thinking, I'm not gonna go back to doing that, or I enjoy the pressure of not having to do this. And that's fine. It's good to reevaluate as long as we're reevaluating in the light of the King who will return and call us in and ask us what we've done with what we're given. It relates to our treasure, it relates to our time, it relates to our talents. What gifts, what skills, what attributes do we have? What spiritual gifts has God given us? It's good and it's fine to use those things to make a living. We all have to put food on our tables and pay our ever-increasing bills. But also, what kingdom business could you be doing with what's been put in your hands? Could you... Use what you have to help run an Alpha course so people can find Jesus or to help with the rooted journey to help people get discipled. Could you help run a life group? Some of these things, most of us can grow into those spaces. There's ways we could get involved in serving or missions. You could serve as a school governor in your local school, become a good neighbor's befriender to be a friend to someone who has no one. You could help with food bank or carriers of hope and... We're looking to make some more opportunities for people to be involved missionally. And I just want to take a moment to tell you about Go. Go is something that is going to be happening on Friday the 10th and Saturday the 11th of June to help us as CLM get really active in missions outside the four walls of this building. So we're going to have a Friday night when we come and worship and pray and are inspired and commissioned to go. And then on Saturday, there's going to be numbers of different opportunities for us to go and bless and serve our city. We're liaising with the city council about booking Broadgate so that alongside Food Bank, we can do an activity there where we draw people into conversation and prayer. We're going to be running a VIP event for people who are are vulnerable. We're going to do that in partnership with Hope Springs Church. There's going to be practical ways to serve and bless others so that hundreds of us can be involved together in going, blessing and serving the city. That's the 10th and the 11th of June. Get the dates in your diary. There'll be more information coming soon. But there are already many ways for us to be involved because we know we're all going to be asked what we did with what we had, our time, our talents, our treasure. I'm not suggesting that you just load up your calendar, but ask the Lord what he would have you do with what is in your hand. Our treasure, our time, our talent, it it covers a lot of what we've got in our lives, but I just want us to consider three other things, three more T's. Truth, Transformation and testimony. 
You know, most of us here in church, we've come to an understanding of the truth of Jesus, yeah? It's been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't something we were born with or just accumulated. And we have been given something extraordinarily precious that we have celebrated this morning. We've come and taken of the bread and the cup again. How precious. What are you doing with that? With your neighbours, your friends, the people you meet, are you seeking opportunities to talk about him or to share something of him, to point them in his direction, maybe to offer to pray for them or even invite them to church. Of course, we must always share truth with gentleness and respect and genuine desire to connect and care for people, but we have been given truth. Many of us also in the room will have a story in our lives of transformation. Because this is what happens when we journey with Jesus, is he transforms us, he changes us, he moves in our lives. Perhaps he's healed you, perhaps he straightened out your thinking and rescued you from some sort of pit you were in. I know I have a story like that. Perhaps he has helped us or is helping us get over damaging habits or patterns in our lives and continues to make us more whole. In fact, I wonder, who in the room has some sort of story of Christ transforming your life? Just give me a show of hands. Many of us, we do. Thank you. So you put your hands down. Now, I'm I am delighted to let you know that I believe God transforms you because he delights in you. And he wants you to be whole. But I also want to suggest that perhaps your transformation was not just for you. Because when we speak of what God has done for us, it raises faith in someone else who needs the same transformation that it could happen in them too. We don't need to be brilliant with our words for it to do that. It's the story, not the articulation, that releases faith. It opens kingdom possibility for others and it builds faith for them to believe God and enter in themselves. But when we tell those stories, we have to be willing to say what we were. We have to be willing to be vulnerable about where we were, and that's not always what we want to do. We have to be honest. It can be humbling, but it is something that we have been given, something that's been entrusted to us. It is a kingdom commodity, you might say. This truth, this transformation is also testimony. They're not separate, really, completely from one another. You know, maybe he's brought you through a season of grief or trouble or overwhelm. Perhaps he's provided when there seemed to be no way. Perhaps opened a door where everything seemed closed. Perhaps has answered prayers. There are testimonies in our lives, truth, transformation. They are kingdom commodities that we have been entrusted with as the king's servants. And you know, sometimes we dare to share them here in church. We tell people in our life group and they are an encouragement. But we can also share them beyond these walls. We don't have to be uh, brilliant uh, preachers or able to answer all of everyone's questions, but just to share the things we know or the things we have experienced. I know outside these walls, the opposition to the king exists. I know it can be felt, it's palpable, it's tangible. Sometimes it's forceful and it's personal. And it can stop us. It can cause us to lie low but the exhortation of this parable is to not bury the things we've been given, but to put them to work, to have a go at making a, biz, a, a kingdom transaction, if you like, to put it out there and see if someone bites. You don't have to say it all, just say a few sentences and see if someone wants to know more. The fruit and what happens next, that is God's business. 
but be faithful to put to work what you've been given. And the promise of this parable is that you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded. There's some aspects of this parable that don't seem that fair. If we were to read the equivalent parable in Matthew 25, the scenario plays out in a very similar way with a a similar ending. Except what happens in that parable is the servants don't all get the same. It doesn't seem fair, and yet that is relatable to the world that we live in and the world that we know, because we've all received different things, differing measures, different advantages, disadvantages we find ourselves living out. Of course, all of us have a different journey to getting here. Our background, our experiences as children and growing up, the opportunities we have or haven't been given, the relationships we've been in, the educational settings, activities, opportunities, they all shape and impact how we arrive at today and what time and treasure and talents we may have. All of our journeys are unique. As part of learning in the last couple of years about racial justice, some of the differing measures of what we might be given have been brought into sharp relief. And this scripture about stewardship speaks into those Because it brings the question, what are you doing with that? What are you doing with that which you've got in your hands? I've had to engage with the subject of privilege, white privilege. It's not always necessarily a helpful term to use. It can be uncomfortable to be considered or called privileged by others, especially when you know the challenges or the obstructions that you have faced in your own journey. But it's been so important for me to understand the challenges and the issues and the battles that other people have to face, that I don't have to, or haven't had to. The reason that I have to understand that because it helps me understand what is in my hand. It helps me understand what I have been given and what I have to be a servant and steward. And of course, there's different aspects to this, to privilege, race and gender and class, nationality, to, it's a complex, Uh, issue, and it becomes politicized and often is unhelpful. But it is important for us to be open, to explore, to be aware of what we've got in our hands, because the king will return and will ask how we've got on. And please hear me, I'm not saying for a moment that God has orchestrated privilege. That's not what I'm saying at all here particularly not race-based privilege, with how it has come about and been established and perpetuated, really, through terrible actions of men and women over centuries, as we've explored in our life groups in the last few months. But the social systems of our society do create and perpetuate advantage and disadvantage. So some of us may find ourselves with more or different things in our hands, and whether that's freedom or opportunity or less risk or less fear or obstruction or challenge to overcome, there's differences. It's not always fair. And these are not things that we have to wear as a label or something that is there as a point of judgment or something we cannot do anything about. This scripture speaks to us today simply to take stock of where we find ourselves, of what is in our hands, of what we have been given, what God has given us, or what privilege or advantage we find ourselves with, and then to use it diligently and bravely for the kingdom. I wonder if I can invite the band to come and join me. 
You know, the subject of racial justice remains one uh, I don't find myself eager to discuss, probably for many of us. But I do know that I have something in my hand. And particularly when I find myself in environments that are outside of CLM, in AOG, occasionally we find ourselves in different national settings, some other settings within the city. Uh, this isn't uh, a topic that I really feel able to speak on that well uh, from an objective or an academic perspective, but I do know what I can do is I can speak about the journey we have made and are making as a church. I can talk about some of the things that people have shared and that we've needed to address. It's a vulnerable conversation to have, but what it does is it allows me to use the truth and the transformation and the testimony and the journey that we've begun on to raise the agenda somewhere else, a kingdom agenda of justice, of racial justice. It's an incomplete journey. It's not all finished. It's not all tidy, but it's something that's in my hand and I'm finding some ways that I can use it for kingdom ends. I may not be fully successful in the face of such a significant issue, but I can be faithful with what is in my hands. This parable, friends, it speaks of agency, it speaks of stewardship, and like many of Jesus' parables, it undoes us, it finds us out, is deeply challenging. It reminds us that the King is going to return in the midst of life here on earth, which is 100% engaging. It reminds us that he's gonna return and that he'll send for us, each of us, and ask how we got on, that we might be rewarded. And it's not a comfortable message. There's many others that I might prefer to preach, but I am grateful personally to be reminded that the King is coming and to look at what I'm doing with that which is in my hands in the light of that, to know that I will be asked what I did with what I had. And you know, friends, what I know is that in that moment when I first see him face to face, the saviour that we've sung of, that we've worshipped, that we've come and taken the bread and the cup, when I see my saviour, who I know gave himself for me, who treats me with such grace and mercy, and I, I know who loves me as I am and accepts me as I am. I'm not doing any of this stuff for love or acceptance, but when I see him, I so want to hear him say, good servant, great work. And I want you to hear those words too. So I encourage us today to take stock of the kingdom commodities that we have in our hands and the natural ones. And to allow scripture to ask us today, what, what are you doing with that? simply to make it available again to the Lord and ask him what he wants us to do with it, what we can do for the king and for his kingdom with what we've been entrusted with. I wonder if you might stand with me to pray before the band lead us. Jesus, we thank you that you came and you gave yourself for us. And you've opened the doorways of heaven to us and you have given us eternal life. You have loved us, accepted us and called us sons and daughters and nothing changes that. And I thank you for that. 
but we also acknowledge that you have entrusted us. Even the very fact of what you've done for us is kingdom treasure entrusted into our hands. And Father, I just pray, even as we respond to this challenging word, that there would be no condemnation, but you would stir our hearts afresh to think and to see and to even realize all that we have and all that we could use to serve others, to bless others, to bring hope, to bring justice, to remove oppression, to bring people into freedom, to lead them to you or on a journey to you. And we just pray, Lord, help us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might become bold in the face of opposition, that we would not shy away and lie low and hide what we have, but help us to stand fully surrendered to you, giving all that we have, faithful with what you've given us so that you can make it fruitful. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.